This is the Steelers Standard on Steelers Nation Radio and Podcast on Steelers.com. Another slow start and some more porous defense from your Pittsburgh Steelers result in a loss 36-10 to the Kansas City Chiefs. Can you really call it a slow start if they never got started at all so at not, any a, point a yesterday? The car just stalled this time. It wasn't the like we were rolling way. five miles per hour through a parking lot before we opened it up in the second half. We literally couldn't get the engine to turn over. Car wouldn't start. Yeah. That's more appropriate for the game against Kansas City because you knew going into it you needed some offense, right? Like it wasn't going to be shoot out win but it wasn't going to be 13 to 10 win you you know you needed to get to somewhere in the 20s probably to have even a shot at beating the chiefs steelers only scored 10 points most of it in garbage time all of it essentially for my money they were basically shut out in that game yesterday i mean that that field we know the touchdown came in garbage time but the field goal came when they were down what 20 26 to 3 or 20 or was it 30 to 3 at that point it was long gone Long gone by that point, and I don't know. People were debating about that field goal. I heard in the post game show, you know, Charlie Batch was saying, "Oh, the reasoning behind that was because Tomlin doesn't want to get shut out. You know, you don't want to have that kind of a, a blow to your pride." And I get where he's coming from because I guarantee you, he's been in circles where coaches have said that to him before, or not to him, but around him. But that was one of the saddest field goals I've ever seen. It Just wasn't. Go for it it wasn't for even a white zone. flag. It just kind of felt. It, it just felt like you were completely given up. But I know a white flag does indicate that. But it felt even worse. It felt even more sorry. You just wanted to save face by not getting shut out in this game. I mean, that's kind of a sorry excuse. Yeah, it is kind of a sorry excuse. Uh, and then you end up scoring a touchdown anyway later. So you do end up getting into the end you zone knew in the fourth quarter. That game was so far gone that the Chiefs were just going to stop trying. And this wasn't. This didn't feel at all like the Minnesota game. We all remember what Joe Green said after that Minnesota first half performance by the Steelers, saying that was the most sorry performance by any Steelers team that I've ever played for or since my retirement have seen. I think this easily took, uh, just took the lead in that category of the most devastating performances by a Steelers team. Complete sixty minute. Blowout. There was no hope. Any any semblance of of a silver lining was diminished by that Deontay Johnson fumble. But you knew at some point that the Chiefs were going to completely give up and, and pull Patrick Mahomes, pull their starters on defense. That you were going to get a chance to score points later on. So why not go for it there on that field goal try? Yeah, I don't know. I, I think you should have probably gone for it there, but. Tomlin's the head coach, and I'm just an idiot who speaks into microphones on Monday morning. Aren't trying, we all trying to recap idiots. the game? I'm trying to find some positives to start with here because we're going to go through a lot of negatives in this episode and the ones to follow. But the one that jumps out at me is Najee Harris. 19 carries for 93 yards. Mm-hmm. 4.9 yards per carry is one of his best, if not his best, mark sure. all year long. So they could run the ball a pretty good bit against the Kansas City Chiefs. Unfortunately, you were down 14 nothing at the end of the first quarter, and running the ball isn't really conducive to coming back from a 14-point deficit, so you kind of had to abandon that. But 43 pass attempts to 25 rush attempts for the Steelers. That's not the balance you want. But again, I, I don't really necessarily put as much blame on them for not committing to the run more in this game as previous games, just simply because you're down 14 to nothing, and then you're down 23 to nothing at halftime. So, of course, you have to try to pass the ball to get back into the game. 
the only thing I would say is your most effective weapon was rushing Najee Harris. Mm-hmm. So even though you're down 14 points, 23 points, however many points you're down throughout this game, still think it's in your best interest to keep feeding him the rock, especially when he's getting 4.9 yards per carry. And I know a lot of that kind of came in the second half when the game was kind of out of reach. He had some of his nicer runs. But I would have just rode that guy all game long because he was the only thing that was going right for you at any point in the football game. The passing game wasn't going right. Your receivers weren't playing well. No, they were not. Uh, The ball security was lacking sorely. But Najee Harris, 19 carries, 93 yards, almost five yards per carry. And, of course, he did not fumble the ball because he has yet to fumble the ball in his Steelers career. I think I saw somewhere in his Alabama career and Steelers career, he's fumbled the ball once, and that came in, like, his freshman or sophomore year. So he hasn't fumbled the ball since something like 2017 or 2018, something like that. But, yeah, I mean, I completely agree with you, Tom. I mentioned how there was really no semblance of any silver lining from that game. I guess if you had to pick one, it would be the performance of Najee Harris, which is shocking because week after week after week, these past, what, three or four or five weeks, uh, the Steelers have run into big, not necessarily big roadblocks, but roadblocks in the form of themselves, Mm -hmm. staying away from the run and not trusting Najee Harris to... To get you that 4.9 uh, yard per carry average that you just mentioned, kind of weird that it came in this game when things seemed completely lost, completely hopeless, that he actually had his best game in in a couple of months or so. That's really the only silver lining I could take. Honestly. Yeah, I mean, I mean, look look at the stat sheet. Your leading tackler was Robert Spillane. Uh, Mika Fitzpatrick had 12 total tackles. It's a way, couple missed ones. Way too many, though. You, you don't see missed tackles on, on, on official stat sheets, but there were a lot. I mean, we remember at the beginning of the season how big of a narrative that was, how big of a, a flaw that was on this defense. I think that this may have been the most egregious missed tackle game that we've seen in a while from the Steelers' defense. TJ Watt was a non-factor. Completely. I think those cracked ribs really yeah. were bothering him. He just, I like the, the chutzpah to play hurt. He just is not a good player when he plays hurt, though. He had one tackle all day. It's just some guys can ramp it up to the level that's close to being 100% or make a play or two when they're hurt. I just don't think TJ's that guy. He just doesn't seem to have that wired in his DNA. He needs his body at peak health for him to play the way that he wants to play because he plays with kind of reckless abandon anyway, and he plays like a madman. Mm -hmm. So I could totally see why some cracked ribs might hinder his ability to play well in this football game, but... Yeah, I mean, that's Najee Harris, and that's the list, pretty much, for the positives that I can take away from the Steelers' effort. Cam Hayward got a sack. Maybe that's what you want to chalk one more up to, but... Yeah, but... It came in garbage time again. I mean, by that point... on Mahomes was abysmal all game long. And by that point, Tom, when when did garbage time really begin? At the start of the second half? When Deontay fumbled at the start of the second half. Mm -hmm. That might have been the start of... At least the the trash was starting to pile up there for the garbage time. I don't. Then the Chiefs went right down and scored. With the Minnesota game, it was a bad first half, right? It was nearly 200 yards on the run by Dalvin Cook and company, but somehow you felt that with the Minnesota, the way Minnesota had been playing all year, and the Steelers with their second half efforts, the Steelers could come back. I don't know the last time I checked out this early on a Steelers game than I did yesterday. I I just paid 
so little attention to this game because I had no hopes of this game becoming a comeback. It was third as I as you mentioned that Deontay Johnson Johnson fumble came on the Steelers' first offensive possession in the second half after they forced the Chiefs to go three and out. Right, but then after that, the the Chiefs were left with what they were on already in their own or on Steelers' field position. They had fifty yards to go, and they took advantage. They got a touchdown. And then the next possession, the Steelers kicked their field goal. So at that point, it was third and three. I think the game was gone. I think Deontay Johnson's fumble really did seal it. The Chiefs scored on four out of their five possessions in the first half. And the one that they missed was, was a missed, missed field, field goal. goal. So they were in range to score points on all five of their possessions in the first half. Steelers had to punt on their first possession. A methodical 14-play, 73-yard drive for the Chiefs capped off in a touchdown. And literally one play into the Steelers' next drive, Ben throws that interception on the flea flicker. Mm-hmm. Six plays, 49 yards, another touchdown. Then the Steelers had to punt, another field goal. Then the Steelers missed a field goal, touchdown for the Chiefs going the other way in six plays, 74 yards. I mean, the offense was just a freight train rolling downhill yesterday. But you can't give them things like an interception in your own territory. You can't miss a field goal and give them an opportunity to get some momentum off of that, even though they're up 17 to nothing. You can't fumble the ball right on your first possession of the second half and give them a chance to score another touchdown. You can't turn the ball over on downs in four plays and six yards, especially when you ran it to the outside inexplicably. Mm -hmm. What did you think of Tom's decision to go for it on fourth down in the first half? Down at that point, 23 to nothing. In your own, t- you were on your own 35 yard line. It's a little inconsistent, right? Because sure. if he thinks he needs to go for it there, why did he kick the field goal in the second half? Like, if you know that the game is getting out of hand and you need this first down, you can't afford to give the ball back to the Chiefs. It was the, the same punt. score at that point compared to when the Steelers kicked the f- uh, It was 30 or nothing. They so were right. down by seven more. Yeah. But I just it, don't you understand. Didn't, you didn't why. feel any closer to. A comeback, getting within yourself, getting within a comfortable comeback range, right? Right. So I don't understand why in the first half his line of thinking is it's twenty three to nothing. We are down so bad and can't afford them to get the ball back even on a punt here. We got to try to extend this drive, get some points into halftime, or, or else the game's over. So he takes a big risk there. Second half, you're down thirty to nothing, and you decide to kick that field goal instead of take. Taking the risk and going for it there. Mm-hmm. Inconsistent coaching has really started to creep up for the Pittsburgh Steelers of late. And it's upsetting, honestly, because we both oh, think Tomlin's completely. a really good coach. But there's been a lot of gaffes this year from him that make you scratch your head and go, that's not really what his MO is. Mm-hmm. Like he's His track record has not illustrated that he makes decisions like this. Not at all. You know, just willy-nilly like that. He's... He's very calculated, and he sure. seems to be very uniform with his decisions. Like, they make sense. Like, you might question his decision-making, but it's consistent, the thought process that usually goes into it. This is a glaring example of inconsistency in that, and there's been several more this year, too, that you just go, well, if you did that then, why are you doing this now? It's just there's not—the numbers aren't adding up for his thought process of late. No, and you can point to several other games this past season where the decision-making hasn't been typical of what we've seen out of Tomlin. Now, we know some of his decision-making is consistent, but it's consistently not what you want to see. Uh, 
I looked at the clock management at the end of halves as a big um, noticeable flaw of his game or a noticeable critic or a criticism of of his game by by many by many fans and many experts of the game. But yeah, I think yesterday was just a very weird day for Mike Tomlin to to kind of just go all willy-nilly and in and, and the heat of the moment kind of thing, which he just does not usually let himself be subject to. Yeah, absolutely. And it's not that he, it's not his isn't the only hand in the pile of people that have come up short. And I don't think that he deserves as much of the blame that a lot of people are going to throw onto him. I mean, I saw Fire Tomlin trending a little bit on Twitter yesterday. You see it even after wins, Tom. Yeah, that's true. Let's be honest. But, but you saw it a lot yesterday. And one thing that Stan keeps bringing up in the postgame shows is that he's, he's not excusing the coaches. He's not excusing the GM. The players just aren't good enough. So, I think so. I think the talent just isn't there. How much can you polish crap? And I hate to use that word because it's very harsh, but when I look at the offensive line... That's one of the buzzwords that comes to my mind first. When I look at the defensive line outside of Cam Hayward, that's one of the lines that I keep coming to first. It's playing like crap. Other than T.J. Watt and the linebackers? And I don't know if you can get another level out of the personnel that you have right now. I don't think you can. I don't think there's a coaching up aspect to this where you can just run through practices and get better week by week. I think you are what you are by now. Yeah. At, by week 16, there's not going to be some spark that was unused or untouched up until this point. You're not going to wait until this deep into the season when you're on the outside looking in at a, at a playoff spot to say, okay, well, now we only have two weeks left and we have to win both. Let's let's use our secret weapons here. Let's say, hey, Akella Witherspoon, hey, Trey Norwood. I know Chris Wormley was out yesterday, but hey, Isaiah Loudermilk. Like, let's... You know that's that secret stuff you've been holding back all year long. Let's let's start using it now. You, it's just not how it works. I MJ's think you, secret stuff. I think you are exactly. I think you are who you are at this point. And what the Steelers are are is a team that is right around five hundred. But I think, I think the Steelers kind of got lucky uh, in that month of October when they were playing Chicago, when they were playing the Russell Wilson less Seahawks. They got really lucky with a very easy first half of the schedule, and Which they, they still, scraped by, and they still stumbled. I mean, they still barely managed to come out of that on a winning, with a winning record. I think if I think if um, if Seattle has Russell Wilson, you lose that game. I mean, you still lost to the Raiders. You still lost to the Bengals, both at home. You got destroyed by the Packers, which everyone saw coming. So. I think the Steelers got lucky, and I think they're far more indicative of a team in these last, what, couple of games since the Detroit Lions game where they've gone one, two, three, two, four, and one, right? In the last seven games, they've gone two, four, and one. I think that's far more indicative of how this team plays compared to the first half of the season when they were five and three. And that still wasn't even that good of a five and three record because you barely beat out the Denver Broncos at home. You barely beat out the Seattle Seahawks without Russell Wilson at home. You barely beat out the Chicago Bears, who, other than a a two-point conversion, would be among the worst teams in the NFL had they not converted that yesterday. 
I mean, you barely beat out these really bad NFL teams all at home, right? If they were on the road, if it was in Denver, in Seattle, I get it. Those are hard places to play, but these are all at home, and they are far worse than your team was, both on paper and on the field, and you're barely squeaking by these teams. So I think even though, yes, you went 5-3, and you weren't as good of a 5-3 and team as, as you claimed to be. I completely agree with that. They scraped by those games. Even the Denver game, when they were up 24 It took a James Pierre interception in the end zone. Yep, Teddy Bridgewater had him in position to... Granted, they have tied it. They would have had to get the they two. Had to, they, get to, they had to get the two-point conversion, but which still, we don't know. A, you had a chance to win, yeah. to tie the game at yeah. the death and force overtime if you were the Broncos. So even in that game, the Steelers really haven't had a, a complete performance yet this year where they've gone from start to finish and just won a game. You know, I think the no only sweat. one maybe is the Browns game that you can point to and say. to 10. Right. And, and they, and they, they had they had to come back, but I think that was the only game where I wasn't looking at the scoreboard. I wasn't looking at the Steelers as a whole and saying, "What are you guys doing here?" Like you just look flat on defense or flat on offense. I think they they got down early to the Browns, but it was never, "Oh my gosh, you know, here we go again." Slow. Yeah, you're start. in striking distance. Same thing with the Ravens game when they won twenty to nineteen. Like you're down, but it's not by an. It wasn't horrible, and you don't see the Browns' offense or the Ravens' offense doing things that scare you into thinking they're going to score a touchdown here or yeah. And and think about that on defense, T.J. Watt balled out in those games. Cam Hayward balled out in those games. Completely healthy. Mm -hmm. Watt had three and a half sacks against the Ravens. Right. I mean, that's just the difference between him healthy. Arguably his best game, other than the Seattle game. They don't blow teams out. But, no, they, I don't, but they can get blown out. What's their largest victory margin all year long? That eight points against Denver? I think that's it. I think it's nine points against... Or no, yeah, I was looking at the wrong score. They lost to the Raiders by nine points. It's eight points to Denver. That's the most they've beaten a team by this year. And in that game, they only scored 27. Second most is six against the Titans. Uh, they're, they're seven. Mar- seven against the Bills. Seven against the Bills. Six against the Titans. So... They don't. They haven't won a game by more than a, a one score at all this no. year. Yet some of the games that look better, like the Vikings score and the Chargers score, were blowouts throughout the most of the game. The Bengals game was a blowout, obviously. The first Bengals game wasn't a blowout, but they were in twenty four to ten. They were in close. control the whole way. It was never close. And then of course it felt just as bad as the forty one to ten loss, right? Yes. And then of course you have the two best teams on your schedule: the Chiefs and the Packers. Both just taking care of business. It was from never start. To it was never a competition. Well, they scored. They were up seven nothing against the Packers, but then it was just a slow burn at the end. Mm-hmm. To more touchdown, another touchdown, another touchdown. Next thing you know, you're losing that game twenty seven to seventeen. So they're just not a team capable of blowing someone out or controlling a game from start to finish. But they are a team that's capable of having that done to them. And that's why I lean towards more a losing team than a winning team with that seven seven and one record. Because when you're five hundred, you have to decide which are side you, of are you the eight are you wins on. or are you the eight. Lo- I guess this year you really can't go five hundred unless you have this tie. Which we do. Are you, are you on the seven win side or the seven loss side? By far and away, it's pretty obvious. Pretty obvious. They're kind of on the seven loss side yes. here. Uh, one play that we touched on a little bit that we got to get into more is the Deontay Johnson fumble. Because that really was, I think, the nail in the coffin. You force a punt. You get the the, the ball uh, after finally stopping the Chiefs for the first time in the game. 
to start the second half. Uh, of course, they came away empty with points on their previous drive, too, but that was a missed field goal by them. So I don't know how much credit you can really give yourself for stopping them, but three plays, four yards, three and out, the Chiefs punt, and then two plays later, Deontay Johnson fumbles the ball on what I think would have been at least a first down because he had a lot of room to I run. I thought he crossed a first down marker at that point. Well, then it would have been a first down plus because he still had a lot more room to run. And he exchanged ball into his right hand, or excuse me, his left hand. He was very, he very loose. Very careless very, with that ball. Very LaShawn McCoy-esque. Mm-hmm. Remember how shady you saw? Sure, that he just ball? kind of, it was like a tomahawk, you know, like a dunk. He Every stride he took was just swinging the football with his body. That's one of those things that I know every single coach probably went up to him at one point and said, you got to hold on to the ball better. And he just said no, and now he's a borderline Hall of Famer. So I think Shady McCoy kind of knew what he was doing. But you don't like seeing that kind of ball security from just anybody. Also, Shady McCoy did it for over a decade. I mean, he was a 2010s all-decade player. And Deontay Johnson's good, but he's definitely not at that kind of a level yet of play. So you you need to still fine-tune your game here a little bit, Deontay. You need to be able to avoid the big letdown plays because you make the big plays now. Sure. But it's the drops from last year that were a problem that you've kind of corrected this year, although they've creeped back somewhat. And it's the ball. It, It really is under the umbrella of ball security for him. Mm-hmm. The ball security for Deontay Johnson is certainly not to the level that you want it to be at if you're a Pittsburgh Steelers fan or a coach on the staff because he's your most explosive player on offense, maybe besides Najee. Certainly your most explosive wide receiver. You want this guy to have the ball in his hands 10-plus times a game, but not if you're worried that he's going to hold the ball like a loaf of bread and just he literally just dropped it onto the ground. Can't have that. No, it wasn't punched or anything. I, I don't know what... I forget exactly how much contact was made, but it wasn't like a great play by the defender on Kansas City, whoever it was that forced it out. It was just a drop by Deontay. And I'd like to point out, I'm sure you saw this on Twitter, on Wednesday night when the uh, Pro Bowl starters were announced, he was not named one of them. And his reaction was, he was upset about it. And he voiced his opinion on Twitter, something he doesn't always do. Uh, He used that yawning emoji uh, just kind of saying like, okay, like I, uh, it, it's bothering me, but I'm not gonna say too much about it. I'm just gonna show my disappointment, buddy. This is, this is the reason why we've seen, we've seen you struggle in the past with drops, and this is not the first time you fumbled a ball all year long when it matters, right? Uh, the the Detroit Lions overtime game. You you just go down in that moment before right before you fumble. Right. You see, always win that game. Here, I, I get the circumstances were slightly different. Your team was down only 23 to nothing, but you would just force the Kansas City Chiefs to a three and out for the first time all day, right? I'm pretty sure that the only other time they were forced to a three and out was uh, at the very end of the game. At the very end of the game, think about that. When it's Chad Henney out there, and Cam Hayward and T.J. Watt aren't seeing the field at all. Mason Rudolph had had been out there for the Steelers. You're not going any. You're not. You're, you're not showing any semblance of a full football team effort, and you finally get the stop, and you get this first down, but you you just give it right back. Give it right back, and you give all the momentum back when you do so. Deontay Johnson is fourth as far as AFC wide receivers are concerned in receiving yardage. So he certainly has a case for the Pro Bowl this year. 
But you're right. It's the he'll probably get there as a uh, as a backup. Yeah. But I mean, Tyree Kill. Obviously, you think he's better than him. Jamar Chase, rookie of the year potentially in Cincinnati. Stephon Diggs. I mean, these guys, Keenan Allen, who made the Pro Bowl. Mm-hmm. These guys. What the difference between Deontay Johnson and Keenan Allen is? Who was Deontay was fourth, Keenan Allen was fifth in receiving yardage. Keenan Allen is one of the most reliable wide receivers in the NFL. Doesn't drop a pass, barely fumbles the football. Deontay has that reputation about him, whether it's fair or not this year, because he has gotten better. People will remember the drops from last year. People will see the fumble that you had on national TV against Kansas City, where it was just a total, what the hell was that kind of play? Like Those will be burned into people's heads. You don't see guys like Keenan Allen make plays like that. You don't see guys like... Stephon Diggs make plays like that. So it's not the positive that's not good enough for Deontay Johnson to get there. It's just that the negatives are too great still for him to overcome that and get the fan vote and the media vote to get in. And I feel bad because up until that Lions game when the season took its turn, not just for Deontay, but the whole team, right? I had mentioned you had gone five and three before the Lions game, and then you go two and four and one down the stretch since, uh, starting with that tie. Up until that point, there were no criticisms of Deontay Johnson. There were no drops. There were no fumbles. I think at that point, Tom, he hadn't had a drop. He's had, I think, two or three on the season so far. Not bad, right, compared to what you had last year when you were dropping two to three per game uh, for a stretch of time uh, in 2020. But up until that Lions game, he was playing his best football of his career, I would say. And then... You started this, then you saw the fumble, and then he started to drop a couple balls here and there. Nothing to the level of concern where that you had in 2020, but still not what you wanted entirely out of him. I really just think that because of the the bad streak he had last year, you're gonna hear your critics or in your criticism a lot louder than you're gonna hear your fans and, and the people praising you. And I think that's kind of that's kind of coming to fruition here with this next fumble. It's the fact that, uh-oh, Deontay Johnson is playing like this guy that fumbles the ball in key moments or, and, and drops passes when he's not supposed to. That's what you're going to hear when you have a tendency to do those kinds of things. He's also really the only wide receiver that's contributing, I think. Yes. Consistently, I think, I think Chase Claypool had a decent day, not his best day, but made a couple combat catches, had a couple big plays, but nothing to the extent that I was happy with his performance compared to two weeks ago when he coughed away, he he gave away essentially the Minnesota game. So we've been trying to find out who's going to be the number one all year. I mean, that was a topic we've been discussing since training camp. I think it is Deontay. It is Deontay. Yeah. Uh, he's a thousand yard receiver this year. He's got seven touchdowns. He's like I said, fourth in the conference as far as receiving yardage goes. He's the number one receiver he on the team. He gets the most targets per game. As now well, the yeah. problem is you don't have a there's number not two. a number two. Mm-hmm. And I think the number two is out. I think the number two is Pat Farm. I think you're right. And I think they could have used him in this game a lot. I think so as well. I think Gentry didn't have a terrible game. No, four targets, four catches. But Pat Firemouth is doing a lot more with that ball of and you're seeing a lot more than just four targets. And Farmer's taking attention away from other guys a lot more than mm-hmm. Zach Gentry is. You just throw a linebacker out there, Nick Bolton, middle linebacker, go cover Gentry. I mean, he's not going to burn you. If he catches the ball, he's not going to have pull-away, breakaway type of speed or the ability to really stiff-arm you into the ground like Firemuth might. So 
I do think they miss Fryermuth, and I do think he might be their number two. They're not going to be this, so don't think that I think that they have this potential. But Johnson and Fryermuth need to become a Hill and Kelsey for the Steelers. Yeah, I that agree. needs to be the bread and butter. And I think they can. I mean, I think we've seen flashes of that. We, we the plays that Deontay Johnson makes in the middle of the field, his footwork is really astounding. Now it drives you insane when all he has to do is dive forward to get the first down. He's trying to make three more extra football-like moves. Something Tyreek Hill doesn't do. I think Tyreek Hill has really polished his game. Tyreek Hill knows when to improvise mm-hmm. and knows when to just put the head down and get the touchdown or get the first down. But I think Pat Farmuth, his game, especially over the last six or seven weeks when he really turned it on, I wouldn't say flawless, but it's it's in the realm of a young Travis Kelsey. You right when Travis Kelsey was breaking out, you see parts of that in Pat Farmuth's game. Yeah, he's got the same size. Receive, receiver first kind of guy. Certainly shrink. He's going to have to put on more, but he will because yeah. it's just his first year in the right. NFL. This offseason for him will probably be pretty transformative as far as weight is concerned. So, yeah, I think that's the goal moving forward. And unfortunately, you kind of got to start looking forward. Although, yes, it is certainly not over yet. That's going to do it for this episode of the Steelers Standard. Like I said, it's certainly not over yet. So, a lot more to get into. So, make sure you keep an ear out for our next episode. But for Jacob Brecht, I'm Tom Offerman. Always appreciate you guys giving us a listen on the Steelers Standard.